0: Hello and welcome to the Open Labour Podcast. My name is James Gibson and I'm joined today by Tessa Milligan. Hi Tessa. Hi. Uh, and I'm joined as well by Abby Barinsky. Hi. How are you doing? You okay?
1: Yeah good thank you. Uh, excited to be on the podcast. I think it's going to be a good one today because of our brilliant guest who I'll let you introduce.
0: Mm, we do have a very special guest all the way from America. Daniel Mann. Daniel, Tell us which part of America you're in at the moment.
2: Uh, I am in Atlanta in Georgia.
0: Okay. And you're here to talk about a very important set of elections. And I'm sure our listeners are aware of these elections, the U.S. midterm elections. And not only are you an American and therefore able to comment on these elections, but you've actually uh, been taking part in these elections, haven't you, Dan?
2: I have. I've been in Atlanta since... uh friday evening um today's uh obviously wednesday it's about 1 uh 1 15 in the afternoon here um i've been doing uh canvassing door knocking um what we call here gotv or get out the vote oh, Saturday. Yeah, you say that too. yeah although when i was when I, although when I, in my labor days we didn't really tend to say gotv
1: oh really
2: that's no, an
0: american really. term that we've uh, this obviously found its yeah. way over here as well from people um, like yourself daniel that that uh, that have come across <laughs> the pond and
2: Bloody
1: volunteered
0: yank. i know made the made the labor party what it is today i know
2: yeah. i know <laughs> brought some uh brought some new york directness
0: sure so <laughs> so okay right so you're in atlanta why are you in atlanta particularly rather um, than new york
2: so atlanta well, georgia really is a huge battleground state um for those who don't know in 2020 um Biden won Georgia and mm-hmm. both senate seats were flipped uh from republican yes. to democrat by John Ossoff and Reverend Raphael Warnock and Reverend Warnock was up uh this time against Herschel Walker and it's looking actually like we're going to have a senate runoff election or should I say another senate runoff election because georgia has this slightly archaic law that if no candidate gets more than 50 percent of the vote the candidates with the top two amounts of votes get have to have a runoff
0: yeah so it's not quite first past the post like it is over here okay look let's let's get some structure to this podcast set the scene for us dan on the on the the run-up to the set of elections because i'm sure most people would have heard i certainly did anyway about the the red wave, which I'm sure, listen, it won't be lost on the listeners, that that red is the enemy in uh, in America, and and blues the goodies, as opposed to obviously here where we're red and uh, and that the Tories are blue. <laughs> yeah, just to confuse everyone. So the red wave is the um, a wave uh, meant to be the the wave of Republican support off the back of the fact that the polls are pretty good for the Republicans, from what I can see. I mean, there were sort of four or five points ahead in the polls, but of course Joe Biden's um, approval rating had dipped. Hadn't it from sort of from plus ten to negative eleven from around July? So, go on. What's the context, Dan?
2: I think we're to start here. So we have to look at what uh, Joe Biden inherited. and He inherited a really fractured, broken, and disconnected country, such to the point that really had not been seen in U.S. politics i would argue potentially since the civil war on top of that you had uh, the, the, obviously the pandemic uh combined with record-breaking inflation so the way that american politics tends to work is that the party who controls the white house tends to get hit quite a lot in midterm elections and you we saw this in 2020 uh, 2010 excuse me with president obama and we saw this again in 2018 when uh joe biden's predecessor whose name i won't mention um was su- theoretically supposedly in the white house and uh we by we i mean democrats obviously took control of both uh, both houses of congress so that's a bit of background in georgia um as i explained about the senate georgia as a state has undergone a lot of social change over the past 20 to 30 years so atlanta as a city and the region has expanded a lot in terms of population but it's also diversified a hell of a lot and what you've seen is that these new arrivals tend to vote democrat in addition to younger people, such as myself, and the Black community tends to, largely, although not exclusively, tends to vote Democrat. And the Democratic vote in the state of Georgia is concentrated, and this is something of a generalization, I should stress I'm not an expert, in the area around Atlanta. So that includes Fulton County, which is uh, home to Atlanta, uh, and amongst others, Cobb County, Gwinnett, which is where I was yesterday. And I can talk a bit more about that. DeKalb County, or as they pronounce it down here, DeKalb, and then other places. And there are a few others. Georgia has like over 200 counties. So that's the kind of makeup, the population center or centers, Atlanta, Savannah, Brunswick, Valdosta, which I'm probably pronouncing wrong, (laughs) Macon, which I'm also probably pronouncing wrong. These areas, the more urban areas tend to not only vote democrat but that's where the population is that's kind of a bit of background here
1: yeah thank you that's really interesting so um obviously i'm not an expert at all um i don't know if i've I've probably not said this on the podcast before i'm an ma student in modern modern history uh but my focus is generally on like uh british uh activism but most of what i see kind of coming out of america at the moment is the controversy surrounding uh the um overturning of roe versus wade i think the last thing i saw was joe biden has said if you know things go well in the midterms he'll codify it do you think that reproductive rights whether you know people being in favor of them or anti-abortion activists would you say that that has been one of kind of the defining issues of this election or is that not really on the forefront of americans minds right now
0: because it's on the polls isn't it i looked at the um top issues for exit polls i couldn't believe it that are that The top issues were inflation, as you'd expect, at 31%, but just below that was abortion at 27%. So has that been the case on the ground, then Dan?
2: Um, it's really hard to say. What I will say is that the the issue when it comes to reproductive rights, it was the issue. But and I and I'm not sure what to attribute this to, it it ceased to be the issue became things like inflation as James said uh petrol prices or gas prices as people would say over here um as well as crime and there's a quite a fear of crime I would argue somewhat unfounded at the moment um which is without a doubt being stirred up by Republicans and was being used politically. So when it comes to reproductive rights, it wasn't as much of an issue as it should be.
0: Okay, and you've said you've been getting out the vote, listeners. I'm sure most listeners will be Labour Party activists, or or at least have done some campaigning. And of course, you've done campaigning in both America, as you as you've just said, and um, and over here in the UK as well for the Labour Party. Is, is it the same? What what do you get up to on on the the run up to a big poll like this?
2: It's 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 quite different actually so you tend to canvas here actually by yourself which isn't particularly fun um the distances tend to be greater there's a lot of walking involved um especially as i said here in atlanta there's a lot of sprawl um you knock on a door there instead of having uh paper um like we, have, we don't really, there's not, as I said, it's by yourself, so there's obviously not someone running the board, um, which for those listeners who know uh, the uh, our open labor godfather, Alex Sobel, he has some funny stories about me running boards and leads. Um, so we've got an app, it's called Minivan. <clears throat> and that's not referring to a people carrier van van stands that stands i believe for voter activation network or something like that and it's an app you download on your phone and it's quite useful you look at that it has the same info you'd have on the board you know some info about the voter where their polling station is uh whether they voted early or postally or not and then there is a script i tend not really to use the script and I would knock on, wait for someone to open the door, say hi. My name's Dan. I'm a volunteer with the Democratic Party of Georgia. Um, will you? Can I ask uh, if you voted yet? And if they said yes, I would say, um, would you mind if I asked you who you voted for? Um, and in most cases, I said Reverend Warnock and Stacey Abrams, um, and then you take it from there um but we had a pretty good reception on the doors but you know i am not sure if i'd been outside of the atlanta area i don't think it would have been quite so positive
1: i was just gonna sort of ask in relation to issues like obviously we have like council elections and then we have general elections um so when i'm canvassing in leeds at the moment in various areas for council elections people are keen to talk about the local about what's going on in Leeds and then when it comes to general elections people are more keen and voting for the national candidate so would you say like i don't know people are voting for a democratic candidate because they like that candidate or because they're they like joe biden i nearly said john biden then um or because they like joe biden like how do you think that plays out or is it really just case by case
2: it's a really interesting question you bring up and i'm going to talk about this in kind of in two kind of answers so it first of all it really depends where you are and i mean that kind of geographically like regionally so you do so if you recall i mentioned about how historically midterm elections tend to be quite bad for the incumbent party in the white house and these in midterms are generally kind of seen as a referendum on how president is doing, and you do see that approval or disapproval, as the case is, carried on to the down-ballot races. And by the down-ballot races, I mean local races, I mean statewide races. So, you've also got to remember we have a federal system here. So, for instance, yesterday here in um georgia you had races for the georgia uh state uh assembly which is what i think they call it and the georgia state legislature state senate rather so you do tend to see patterns where people will vote straight republican or straight democrat and you do at times tend to see that kind of approval disapproval carried over to the down-ballot races. But the thing is, though, that you also tend not to have local elections in the same years that you have state or federal elections.
0: I mean, these are primarily national elections, aren't they? Elections for for the House, for the Senate, and the House of Representatives. And I suppose the governor bit is the local bit, isn't it?
2: It's as local as you're going to get, really
0: is that borne out in the um, in the results that we're seeing then that go- people might vote differently for governors than they would for their Senate representative or their house of what is it House of House of Representatives representative
2: um the technical term is member of is congressperson
0: congressperson is
2: a bit of a mouthful to say as to your question once again it's a really good question and you do see that you do at times see that pattern and, We really saw that yesterday here in Georgia, where the Democratic nominee for governor, Stacey Abrams, who is an an exceptional candidate, she ran an exceptional campaign. She founded what's known as the New Georgia Project, which is really the movement, the political movement, which I credit with turning Georgia blue. So she ran for governor in 2018 and now in 2022. the incumbent who won in 2018 is brian kemp and he's a republican but he's quite popular and that popularity goes back to dollars and cents he repealed the um the petrol tax there was a tax on petrol he's seen as being quite good bringing jobs to georgia and you know the numbers speak for themselves that you know the the difference between Reverend Warnock and uh, Herschel Walker last night when I looked, it was at at about 13,000 votes Warnock was ahead, but Stacey Abrams conceded to Brian Kemp at like 11pm or something. So you've clearly had a lot of people voting for Warnock, but also for Brian Kemp.
1: So yeah, that's really interesting, thank you. So I guess the big question on everyone's minds is really sort of the results so have there been any kind of upsets any shocks and where like it's fairly open question where do you think we are at the moment in terms of results how's things starting to play out because we're starting to get a picture now
0: so just for listeners it's six o'clock it's six o'clock on the 9th of November so
1: UK time
0: UK, that's UK time. What time is it where you are, Dan?
2: Uh, it's one thirty-two p.m. here in Atlanta. <laughs> it, it
0: doesn't really make any difference at the same time. so
1: far, basically? <laughs> Talk us through it. How's it looking?
2: Okay, so I'm going to, first thing I'm going to say is I'm feeling a lot better than I would have expected to uh, last night. I was expecting, as, you know, people were predicting, what they were calling the red wave. Mm-hmm and i'm not referring to that in, uh, in, uh, in in and and that doesn't mean 1997 in a good way i was expecting a blowout really i was expecting mm. a massacre and we haven't seen that we saw one of the most positive signs was that john fetterman the democratic nominee won and flipped the senate seat that was up for re-election in pennsylvania
0: this is the guy that had a stroke, right? This a is a the stroke guy that, back in May. Yep, the guy who that looked had like it. a rocker. He looks like somebody from like a, 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 an aging rocker from a metal band or something like that, right? He
2: absolutely does, and you know he would fit in. You know, you you could pop him down in the middle of Glastonbury, and he'd fit in just <laughs> fine. And he's really got quite an interesting backstory, uh, John Fetterman. Mm-hmm. Um, and he won and it was you know it was really touch and go initially he had quite a large lead i haven't got the numbers in front of me but that lead you know really evaporated over the past you know month to six weeks yes and during i believe it was the last debate um you know his obviously he had a stroke so his cognitive function isn't what it was and you know, at times he was struggling to engage in that, yes. you know, back and forth. I'm sure some of uh, the listeners maybe watched it or, or read about it. So seeing him flip that seat was huge. Hmm. Other upsets? Um, well, it's not really an upset, but it was a relief that in uh, New York, Kathy Hochul uh, won, well, I don't know if we, it's re-election or election, because When Andrew Cuomo resigned in uh, August of last year, she was lieutenant governor, so she took over. So do we say election or re-election? I don't know. So that was quite a relief. We still don't, the kind of the two big uh, questions at the moment are Nevada and Arizona. And we don't know yet. And that is, those are really key. If you want my kind of analysis as the kind of, resident open labor uh u.s politics correspondent <laughs>
0: I think unofficially
2: unofficially obviously i think that nevada nevada is still too close to call it to go either way and i think mark kelly will hang on in arizona the republican uh ron johnson he won. he was re in wisconsin which it doesn't surprise me but I I did think Mandela Barnes, who is the lieutenant governor of Wisconsin, had a chance. But you are seeing what here we call split ticket voting, where people vote for, you know, one candidate in one party, one candidate in another, a lot more than one would have expected.
0: So where we are at the moment, then, is it's all about Nevada, Arizona, and Georgia, isn't it? Those key democratic defenses.
2: Those are really gonna determine who uh, who takes control of the senate the house you know a lot of people are writing it off that the republicans are going to have the majority i'm not willing to kind of throw in the towel just yet um because you know it ain't over till it's over
0: hey that might come back to bite you you know, may be be seen as uh clairvoyant or you may be seen as uh um uh, gain reputation for being overly hopeful there Dan but we shall find out in in the coming hours and uh in days won't we I suppose what about the, the plebiscites and the um referendum there was three or four key referenda wasn't there
2: there were so Vermont and Michigan and California and California um they all voted to they basically they they had uh, constitutional amendments to their state constitutions of one variety or another to include a, boor, uh, a right to abortion. It was really good to see that they all passed. So I was actually I was in Detroit about two three weeks ago, about three weeks ago. And for those who yeah, less geographically inclined, Detroit is the largest city in Michigan. There was a lot of uh, media, a lot of uh, campaign material up about <clears throat> vote yes on proposition three because mm. what happened when rovers wade was overturned has happened in a lot of these states old laws uh banning or heavily restricting abortion uh, automatically kicked in and that's what would have happened in michigan wow
3: it's interesting listen to this i'm wondering if i can um pivot the conversation to florida and Ron DeSantis and you know Uh, the impact now on the Republican Party um it's interesting before
2: you do that let me go and get my uh my blood pressure pills no I'm joking
3: (laughs) (laughs) yeah me too Um, (laughs) it's interesting looking at this from the UK because um we have a sort of uh culture war of our own over here but it's much different from the American, um, the American political culture, um, particularly the introduction of conspiracy theory to mainstream politics in America, the conspiracy theory about uh, the election being rigged, the pre- presidential election, all this kind of thing. And obviously it's quite concerning seeing characters like Ron DeSantis who've, you know, attacked LGBT communities and things like this as part of his politics and and building a coalition around issues like that um I'm keen to hear what impact you think this is going to have on I hate to bring him up but <laughs> Donald Trump
0: always oh, uh, back in conversation that's exactly what he um, wants't well
3: well what, what impact is this gonna have on, well what impact is this going to have on the Republican party who kind of become the party of Trump and actually a lot of his candidates you know, potentially handpicked by him have underperformed and he sees DeSantis I think as a rival for the Republican nomination at the next presidential election.
2: Just trying to think where to even begin to start unpacking uh, (laughs) unpacking this so I'm gonna talk first if that's okay about the kind of as you described it culture wars and then I'm gonna talk about the uh uh, DeSantis and uh, uh, the, the the president after Obama and before Biden, um, <laughs> so-called president. So in terms of the culture wars, you know, it's one of those issues that's really so complex to kind of unpack that it manifests in, it manifests, I would argue, in two main ways, generationally and geographically. And generationally, because our generation, kind of millennials, Gen Z, you know, we've kind of grown up in a more inclusive, progressive environment, generally. Geographically, it manifests in the sense that you see the Northeast, Illinois, around Chicago, and the West Coast are, you know, progressive, you don't really have these kinds of Existential battles, but when you kind of scratch the surface, you see a real urban, suburban, rural divide. So, for context, I'm as maybe obvious, I'm a New Yorker. Actually, surprised that that hasn't been remarked on yet.
0: Well, it didn't um, need to be, it's so obvious, it's self evident, and that it didn't need to be stated. What even,
2: <laughs> uh, even, uh, James, your favorite, uh, your favorite saying of mine, whatever, or whatever, <laughs> um. So where I'm going with this is, so as as a New Yorker, but for our listeners also as a, I am a a, a Leo Dionysian as much as I am a New Yorker.
0: I don't suppose our listeners will know that that's a a small rugby club on the outskirts of Leeds. So it's also the,
2: it's also the term for a resident of Leeds. Is it,
0: is it actually right? It is. It actually Well is. I didn't know that. I've lived in Leeds for, for fifteen years. So I'm I'm clarifying for listeners. Okay. Tessa's laughing ahead off, I can see. Um, I'm
1: new to Leeds, but I'm I'm definitely gonna start using this now and just confuse everyone. Yeah.
0: Anyway, we're, we're detracting. Carry on Dan. <laughs>
2: um so where so in New York, I um I was born in Queens, but I grew up on uh, Long Island. Well, Long Island where I grew up, it's as the name suggests, an island to the east of New York to the east of Manhattan, you in terms of culture wars, you know, the further generally the further east you go on Long Island, the kind of the more conservative Republican it gets. So a few weeks ago, I was out in uh, Suffolk County, which is, uh, as I said, in the east of Long Island, I was in a town called Stony Brook. And I I was having I was talking to someone I won't bore you with the all the context who worked for the uh, local education authority out there. And I'm a lecturer, so I tend to be quite interested in this thing and these things rather and we were talking a bit about kind of, you know, the impacts of COVID on uh, education. And she was telling me, you know, that she would be at like, you know, school governor's meetings here, what we call board of education meetings and the amount of misinformation and disinformation, you know, uh, COVID vaccines, you know, there were people who thought that, you know, COVID vaccines were injecting microchips into them. <laughs> I, I, it sounds stupid, I know, but it's true. Or when it comes to, you know, things like LGBTQ plus characters in children's books. So really the suburbs are where you're seeing these kinds of culture wars playing out. And I mean, I don't know where it comes from. I, I, I've tried to understand it, and I've, every time I try to understand that I failed, I don't see why these people, specifically the white working class, why they are so angry.
0: Well, I, I think we could <laughs> do an entire podcast on that, couldn't we, as to...
2: I suppose we could. <laughs> um, now I'm going to go to the second question about sure. Trump. What is happening? So you definitely are seeing the reemergence of two factions in the Republican Party. You're seeing the Trump faction and the DeSantis faction. Now, both are, I would argue, kind of MAGA-esque. However, this is really going to be a litmus test to see whether the Republican Party is beholden to these ideals or they're beholden to Trump, the, the person, the character. And we're going to see whether or not this is a kind of, for lack of a better word, a personality cult, which is really what Trump has turned into. So it's really going to be interesting what happens between in the demographic between Trump and DeSantis. And the other thing that you have to remember is that they're both in Florida. They're both based in Florida.
0: didn't know that. And that is that is really interesting. We've already seen the early signs that I mean, um, that he's he's trying to see off DeSantis, isn't he? With um, spreading rumors that he's got some dirt on him that's going to ruin him and, and he shouldn't stand or run rather his run isn't it in America rather than stand. So uh, he's clearly worried isn't he and it, it will make I mean what what do you think is are the odds of um, DeSantis beating Joe Biden compared to Donald Trump because that's the important bit isn't it I I
2: would honestly I don't know I think what it really is going to boil down to is to use a term that the MAGA lot have kind of uh commandeered the silent majority and it's really gonna determine whether the republican party as i said whether there are still people in the republican party or at least who vote republican who are more beholden to whatever ideals they have as opposed to the person and I don't know. I think people are tiring of Trump. So I would think DeSantis would have a better chance. But, you know, six years ago, I said, you know, I, I was like, there's no way in hell Trump is going to win. And look what happened.
0: So these elections are the, the second biggest turnout for 50 years, 116 million people from from what we're gathering. It's still only about 65%. I presume that... Um, presidential elections there's a higher turnout than that so what can we take from these elections in terms of the indication for the presidential election that's going to place it take place in two years because we're always skeptical in this country aren't we that local elections don't necessarily translate into a general election so a good set of local elections doesn't mean that there's going to be an indication of, of how the general election is going to go. Is it the same in America? or I'd
1: just say, yeah, definitely from a UK perspective, throwback to Jo Swinson after the European elections, declaring herself the next <laughs> prime minister and then losing her seat.
0: Yeah, can you remember that? Wow.
1: Big throwback.
0: Well, I mean, and UKIP as well. Look at UKIP for the, with, um, with what they did in the EU elections. They topped the poll a couple of times, didn't they?
2: You know, it's really hard to say at this stage because split ticket voting, you know, is a thing. But, in terms of turnout, you know generation Z really has changed the game as it were, and you know my generation our generation really millennials you know we used to i you know it was, people were saying that we were the most politically engaged generation, but Gen Z you know really are you know have have kind of they've given us a run for our money on that so I don't think we're going to see turnout go down, but I'm also not entirely convinced that we can certainly can't afford to be complacent. But I would I would counsel against, you know, reading too much into one election in terms of a predictor of future elections. With that being said, though, what you also have to realize is just how much voter and activist fatigue that there really is. And I'm going to use what's happening, what's going to happen in Georgia as an example, that you're going to have another election, you know, full-blown campaign, full-blown election in three weeks. Mm -hmm. I think they're talking about the 6th of December, if I'm not mistaken, which is, okay, it's a little more than three weeks, but it's under a month. And, you know, that takes effort. And unfortunately, certain states, Georgia being one of them, they don't make it easy to vote. You know, when you don't make it easy to do democracy people don't do it it's as simple as that
0: well we know what that's like we just had a briefing at the labor group last week about the voter id required for the local elections next year and that always amazed me actually when you'd watch the u.s presidential elections you'd see people go to vote and they're all sort of showing that they've got their id and i thought why on earth would you need to bring your id that seems crazy and now of course it's over here I would add as well that actually I asked our, I mean, I'm going off on a tangent now, but I'm sure listeners would be interested to know this, that I, I asked our elections officer if they'd ever been, or no, not if they'd ever been, what, how many instances of electoral fraud had she witnessed since being the election offer for lead city council and she'd been there for 20 years and she's not had any so i presume it's the same in america that the instances of electoral fraud are absolutely they far between.
2: between low and non-existent and it's also important to realize that every state does it differently so in new york where i vote um and i've also been a poll worker quite a few times we don't require voter id um mm-hmm whereas some states like Georgia, um, they do. And if anyone wants a bit of history, I'd suggest they go and familiarize themselves with the poll tax laws, which were implemented after the Civil War, after Reconstruction to disenfranchise people of color. Yes. And voter ID laws are really the new Jim Crow. They're the new poll tax. Yes. Why? Because if you mandate that you have to have a specific form of ID to vote, statistically black people are less likely to have driving licenses less likely to have one of these very specific forms of id to vote Mm -hmm. and it is nothing more than an attempt to suppress and disenfranchise people who are going to vote for democrats
0: sure
2: so yesterday when i was poll observing i I witnessed a couple of people be turned away because they didn't have uh the the correct id you know i could go on
3: about this obviously we haven't seen the red wave for the publicans that was predicted but what are your predictions for the final results and how are you feeling about how things are going down
2: well I'm still a nervous wreck I <laughs> my final predictions are I think that as I said Georgia it's going to go to a runoff I think Warnock will win that runoff I'm relatively confident of that but that all boils down to, to vote, voter turnout if people show up. I'm confident, m- relatively confident, Mark Kelly will hold on in Arizona. I think I, I'm inclined to say that Nevada will be a Republican gain, but I hope I'm wrong. So I think what we're gonna have is the Senate that is more or less numerically very similar to what we had before. So I think it'll be it, either a 50-50 split or a 51-49 uh, split, depending on what happens here. In terms of the House, you know, we just don't know at this stage. I would not be surprised if the Republicans take it. But I also think that there's a chance the
0: Democrats might hold on. Wow. Ever the optimist, Dan.
1: The so final outlook appears to be not ideal, but not as bad as expected.
0: Exactly. In a
1: nutshell.
0: <laughs> yeah,
2: it's it's not great, but it's not a complete catastrophe either.
0: Excellent. On that positive note, we shall end. And I just want to say a big thank you to Abby and Tess. And of course you Dan. on, I'm sure you've hardly had any sleep since Friday. How much sleep have you had when you've done this podcast? A couple of hours? Uh,
2: I have probably had about four to five hours of.
3: Oh, bless you.
2: Not very good sleep. I'm flying back to New York later tonight and I'm. Honestly, I am exhausted and just shattered in every way, physically, mentally, emotionally. And you know, it's like it's really it's been very stressful, you know, for the past few days.
1: Thank you so much for taking time out of your like busy and exhausting schedule to come and talk to us. It's really appreciated by us three here, and I'm sure the listeners are gonna find this to be a really brilliant and interesting episode. So thank you so much.
2: Thanks again for having me. I really appreciate it.
1: No worries.